This is the World in Brief from The Economist. Our top stories. Hurricane Ian made landfall near Fort Myers, Florida, and weakened as it ploughed across the peninsula. More than 2 million people are without power. With wind speeds near 150 miles per hour when it struck, Ian had been just shy of the Category 5 designation, the most severe. It counts anyway as one of the strongest storms on record to wallop America's mainland. Storm surges as high as 12 feet were seen along the coast of southwestern Florida as the interior was doused by an unrelenting downpour. Cuba began restoring power after suffering a complete blackout. Britain's Prime Minister Liz Truss said she would not roll back her government's mini-budget that has roiled markets and was prepared to take controversial steps to boost growth. Her economic plan triggered a collapse in the value of sterling, now at just about $1.08. On Wednesday, the Bank of England shocked analysts by committing itself to buy long-dated government bonds worth £65 billion, equivalent to $70 billion, in a bid to calm markets. The International Telecommunication Union elected Doreen Bogdan-Martin, an American, as its secretary-general. Ms. Bogdan-Martin beat Rashid Ismailov, Russia's former deputy minister of telecoms, by 139 votes to 25, a far more decisive margin than was expected. The result indicates that the ITU's 193 member states want a decentralised internet, governed by consensus, rather than one controlled by national governments, which Russia and China have pushed for. The EU determined that leaks from Nord Stream 1 and 2, major gas pipelines under the Baltic Sea, were caused by sabotage, but stopped short of blaming Russia. On Thursday, Sweden's Coast Guards reported a fourth leak. Ursula von der Leyen, head of the European Commission, said deliberate disruption would receive the strongest possible response. Ms. von der Leyen also proposed new sanctions on Russia, including an oil price cap. America's Vice President Kamala Harris visited the demilitarized zone between the two Koreas hours after the North launched two short-range ballistic missiles into the sea. Ms. Harris criticized the provocative nuclear rhetoric and warned of tough action if Kim Jong-un's regime conducted its first nuclear test in five years, as some expect. Iranian missile and drone strikes killed at least 13 people in Iraq's autonomous Kurdish region, according to local officials. Anti-government protests have swept Iran following the death of Masa Amini, a Kurdish woman in police custody. Iran's Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps said the cross-border strikes were against separatist terrorists who supported the riots. Separately, Iran's president conceded that Miss Armini's death was a tragic incident. Rostec, a Russian state-owned conglomerate that includes the only domestic maker of commercial aircraft, told Reuters that airliners made by Airbus and Boeing would be superseded by Russian-made equivalents. Rostec's boss is a close ally of Vladimir Putin. The firm says it aims to build 1,000 planes, suggesting that it has lost any faith that commercial links with Western suppliers might be restored. And fact of the day. 60%. The share of the Middle East's GDP made up by the booming Gulf states, the highest percentage since 1981. And now here's a deeper look at the day ahead. 
What drives the world's most powerful person? In just over two weeks, the Chinese Communist Party will hold its party congress, the most important event in China's political calendar. Xi Jinping will almost certainly be granted a third five-year term as leader, an event unprecedented since the long reign of Mao Zedong ended in 1976. Over his ten years in charge, Mr. Xi has shattered decades of cautious collective leadership and hoarded enormous personal power. Chinese officials argue he needs it to guide the country through global turmoil and turn it into a superpower. Many ordinary Chinese agree. The Prince, our first long-form podcast series, tells the story of Mr. Xi's life, including his traumatic childhood. It is a tale of power in China, how it is won, how it is wielded, and how far some have fallen when it is taken away. A Genocide Suspect Faces Trial On Thursday, Felicien Kabuga will go on trial in The Hague, at a special court set up by the UN in the aftermath of the bloodshed in Rwanda in 1994. The octogenarian faces charges of genocide and crimes against humanity. He has previously pled not guilty and is likely to do so again. One of Rwanda's richest men, Mr. Kabuga is alleged to have bankrolled ethnic Hutu extremists during the genocide, in which up to 800,000 Rwandans were murdered, mainly of the ethnic Tutsi group. An ally of Rwanda's then-ruling party, Mr. Kabuga stands accused of creating, supplying, and arming the Interahamwe, a Hutu militia responsible for most of the killing. He also helped found Radio Mil Colin, a radio station that spouted murderous anti-Tutsi propaganda. After the genocide, Mr. Kabuga became one of the world's most wanted men. He was finally arrested in Paris in May 2020. There are many questions about how he managed to evade capture for so long. But now, finally, prosecutors have their man exactly where they want him. Voting on the Future of the Internet The International Telecommunication Union will elect its next Secretary General on Thursday at its quadrennial conference. In a throwback to the Cold War, the vote pits an American against a Russian. Doreen Bogdan-Martin, one of the ITU's three directors, takes on Rashid Ismailov, a telecoms executive who was once Russia's deputy minister of telecoms. Even at this late stage, the vote looks too close to call. Some see the election as a vote on the future of the digital realm. If Miss Bogdan-Martin wins... It will be a sign that most of the ITU's 193-member countries would prefer the Internet to remain a freewheeling, decentralized global network of networks, governed mostly by consensus, where all interested parties have at least some say. If Mr. Ismailov prevails, it would mean that the world prefers a model that Russia, but also China, have been pushing for one that looks more like a telephone system of old, a centralized edifice controlled largely by national governments. 
Porsche's Luxury IPO Not every petrol head can afford a Porsche. But the initial public offering of the German luxury car maker on Thursday could give fans a chance to own a small share in the company. In a nod to Porsche's most iconic model, its current owner, Volkswagen Group, will sell 911 million shares at up to 82.5 euros or $80 each, although only 114 million, with no voting rights, will be sold to the public and big investors. The rest will be held by Volkswagen, and Volkswagen's largest shareholders, the familial descendants of Porsche's founders. The IPO therefore values the most profitable part of Volkswagen at 75 billion euros, making it one of the world's biggest car makers by market capitalization. The cash raised will help to pay for Volkswagen's transition to electrification. But if Porsche is to reap the benefits of its tie-up with Volkswagen, the erstwhile parent must get a grip on Karyat, its in-house software unit. Problems there have already forced Porsche to postpone the launch of one new model, its e-Macan, a small SUV. Not the sort of snafu that Porsche is used to. End of an Era for FIFA Electronic Arts, an American company, releases FIFA 23 this week, the latest edition of its hugely popular football video game. Having sold more than 325 million copies since its inception in 1992, every FIFA release is an eagerly anticipated event in the gaming calendar. This one, however, is particularly poignant. It marks the end of a successful collaboration between EA and FIFA, football's governing body. FIFA earns an estimated $150 million every year for lending its name to the series. It now hopes to rake in more through new games developed with other studios. Some fans will welcome the shakeup. Recent editions of FIFA have been criticized for merely repackaging it without any meaningful changes to gameplay or features. The introduction of in-game purchases has been controversial too, as gaming purists consider a pay-to-win model inherently unfair. Such controversies prompted another developer, Strikers Inc., to enter the market on its own. Through Ultimate Football League, which launches in 2023, Strikers promises to deliver a so-called fair-to-play experience, meaning it rewards gamers for their skill rather than their money. Daily Quiz Our baristas will serve you a new question each day this week. On Friday, your challenge is to give us all five answers and, as important, tell us the connecting theme. Email your responses and include mention of your home, city, and country by 1700 BST on Friday to quizespresso at economist.com. We'll pick randomly from those with the right answers and crown one winner per continent on Saturday. Thursday. Which town in Maryland shares its name with an American comedian? Wednesday. Which American comedian replaced Johnny Carson as host of The Tonight Show in 1992?
Finally, here's the quote of the day from Emile Zola, who died on this day in 1902. Nothing develops intelligence like travel. That's the world in brief from The Economist, available three times every day of the week. You can also hear interviews and analysis from our journalists, including our current affairs podcast, The Intelligence, on your podcast app. And subscribers to The Economist have access to each week's full edition in audio. Just download The Economist app to start listening.